Awesome. So, um, I'm going to be carrying on the series of how to be more Christ-like, how to be in the Spirit, and we're looking at Galatians 5, Fruit of the Spirit. So, you know, we, two weeks ago, Keith was talking about love, you know, that was the first part of the Fruit of the Spirit, and now I'm talking about the second part of the Fruit of the Spirit, and that is joy, how to be joyful. So, yeah, let's get into it. Does my clicker work? Yeah, so, firstly, we're going to focus on what is joy, what, what does joy look like in the Bible? So, you know, it's a great thing to be in a good mood, and in most languages, there are multiple words that are used to describe the feeling of being in a good mood. Sorry, Carly, I'll go a bit slow. <laughs> like, happy, cheerful, gladness, or joyful. Those are sort of the English words we use for a good mood. And the same goes with the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simch- simcha, sason, and gil. And in the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphesune, <laughs> or agaliasis. Don't worry there. each word has its own unique nuance but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness there's a few examples in the bible so page one of the bible god says that the world is very good so naturally people find joy in the beautiful and good things we are reminded of this in psalm 65 and psalm 118 People also find joy at weddings. We see this in Jeremiah 33:11, where you know, the joy of a wedding is compared to the joy Yahweh gives us. In Proverbs as well, people find joy in their children. We see that there in Proverbs 23, 24 to 25. And another Hebrew proverb compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. But unfortunately, as we know, the world isn't always a very joyful place. We don't live in a joy-fest world. And the biblical story highlights how we live in a world that has been corrupted by our selfishness and our sin. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where our faith, our trust in Jesus, offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. I think that's a pretty good definition for joy. That's what we're going to run with. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So when the Israelites were suffering slavery in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. When they came through the Red Sea and out, in, out of Egypt into the wilderness, the first thing they did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of the desert and they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away. They rejoiced anyway. They rejoiced in the Lord anyway because their freedom. They rejoiced for their freedom. Later in Psalm 105, 43, the poet remembered this story and how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. 
This joy in the wilderness was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but their future destinations. This theme reappears later when Israel suffered oppression from Babylon, a mean foreign empire. The prophet Isaiah looked for the day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee them. Isaiah 51, 11. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. They chose joy. That's really cool. How's everyone doing? Yeah? Not, not, all right, all right, chilling, chilling. All right, cool. So now we're going to look at Luke 10. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up. Um, if you have a phone, then feel free. Um, so we're going to read through it and keep it open because then we're going to go through it, but it won't be on the screen, so it'll be quite difficult to... You know what it's like. Anyway. All right, Luke 10. Now after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, belt, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. And whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer is deserving of his wages. Do not move from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is served to you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, for if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. But the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Okay, we're just going to stop there before... And then we'll go into the next bit later. So just keep that open if you have it on your phone or in your Bible. So now, here Jesus is sending out the 72. In some of your translations, I use the NASB then. But oh. Yeah, I use the NASB then. Um, in some of your translations, it might say 70, but that's not the point. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's probably just a mistake someone made. But yeah, that's not the point Luke's trying to make. It could be 72, it could be 70, but I'm going to say 72. After appointing the 72, Jesus spoke of the great need for evangelism in verse 1 to 2. 
And he commissioned the 72, giving them these instructions. All these instructions you know, go together nicely, and they lean off of each other, and you can see the pattern that goes along. So the first instruction is go. This is foundational. The 72 were to divide into pairs and visit all the places Jesus was about to go. They were to prepare the way for Jesus. They were to prepare the way for the coming king, the Messiah, the guy who was promised in the Jewish scriptures. The second instruction is, be wary. The 72 were like lamb among wolves, surrounded by danger. This wasn't going to be an easy task. Jesus, you know, this was a big task. Jesus was asking quite a bit for these guys. Third point is, live by faith. The 72 were to carry nothing with them but the message of Jesus. No money belt, no bag, no sandals, but they were to carry the message of the kingdom. And this sort of goes with the last point, be wary. Be wary, it's going to be dangerous, but live by faith and you'll be okay. The fourth point is, be focused. The 72 were to greet no one along the road and not be sidetracked by their important evangelical mission. This was really important, and Jesus needed these people to do this. Like He needed them to prepare the way for him because you know, people weren't ready to receive Jesus straight away. You know, we see it in John the Baptist. He you know, baptized people because <laughs> he's a Baptist. <laughs> he baptized people, and you know, he preached this great message of repentance before they met with the love of Jesus. And, you know, we see this again in these 72 followers. The fifth point is, extend your blessing. Whoever housed the 72 were to be blessed, using the common greeting of the day, peace be to this house. Peace be to this house. The sixth point is, be content. The 72 were told not to seek better accommodation. They were to stay in the home that first received them. They weren't to be fussy. They weren't to be like, oh, this room's fairly small. I don't like this one. I'm going to you know, go find a palace or something. I don't know. They were just to stay put. They weren't to be fussy. The seventh point is receive your due. The laborer is worthy of his wages. When I read this point, I was a bit like, what? <laughs> but they're doing work for the kingdom. Surely they don't need money, they're, you know, they're serving Jesus, they don't need anything. It's a bit like volunteer work at ICC. If you're not a volunteer, be sure to volunteer. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was just like, hmm, okay, so I did a bit more digging, and in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, this is what it says. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Doing evangelical work is indeed work and is worthy of compensation. So they would have get, gotten paid in their accommodation. They wouldn't have had to you know, give back to the people whose houses they were staying in. They didn't have to pay for food because those were their wages. That's what they were being paid to do. They were being paid to spread the message through the needs that they need. Um, the eighth point is be flexible. The 72 were to eat whatever their host gave them. They weren't to be fussy. And this goes with point six, you know, be content. You know, receive you, be flexible. Whatever they give you, take it. Be, be kind. Instruction nine is heal the sick. The message of the 72 disciples was simple. The 
kingdom, sorry, I missed it. <laughs> Jesus gave the 72 specific authority to heal the sick. In verse 17, when they came back, the 72 rejoiced because they were not only able to heal the sick, they also drove out demons. Jesus gave them this authority to go and heal the sick. You know, they go and they tell this message and people are like, what? What are you on about? You know, and they, they heal the sick people and it's almost like this revelation of, oh my goodness, yeah, that, you know, and they heal people in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, and they're like, this Christ is a real deal. This guy is, wow, you know? Point 10 is proclaim the kingdom. The message of the 72 disciples was simple. The kingdom of God has come near to you. This was a clear-cut call to faith in the king who would soon visit each village, town, or city. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That was all they were supposed to carry. Do you see how those 10 points sort of go with each other? And they're very good instructions to sort of go off. And they're simple. They're simple for the 72 to follow, I feel. Anyway. Jesus then told the 72 that they might expect rejection in some towns. And he told them how to respond. Publicly wipe the dust of that town from their feet. Proclaim the kingdom one more time and warn them of coming judgment. Jesus even told them how to deal with rejection because Jesus knew that some people were going to reject it. Okay, so you can, um, we're going to read on now in Luke 10. We're going to do 17 to 24. Awesome. I'm just going to have a drink. All right. Now the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I watch Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will enjoy you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. And have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for doing so was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal him, turning to his disciples, he said privately now, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see and did not see them, and to hear the things that you hear and did not hear them. So it's interesting here how Luke doesn't record how the 72 were feeling on their departure after Jesus told them these instructions. He doesn't deem it important. What is important is that they were rejoicing on their return. Rather than focusing on the hardship and doubt and rejection the 72 faced, 
the recorded, emphasised reaction is joy. I'm, I'm sure, this is my opinion now, that the 72 faced lots of rejection and lots of hardship, and it was a difficult task. It was a really difficult task. Take nothing. Not, even, not a money bag, not a belt, no bag, no sandals, and proclaim this message. That must have been really difficult. Uh, but Luke doesn't record that because he doesn't deem it important. There's a reason why he doesn't record that. It's just, he doesn't want to. I don't want to do that. No, it's not important. The recorded emphasized reaction is joy. Now, many of us have seen that same joy. When we see someone come back from a mission trip, a good example is Isabel and Erin Scollin a few weeks ago. Or maybe when someone has finally had a chance to share the gospel with a loved one that they've been praying for for years. And when someone is healed by the name of Jesus, we are met with the same joy that the 72 had there. Now, Jesus then goes on to say in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus is saying this because he wants you to understand what really matters. Miracles are great and should be celebrated. These disciples should be rejoicing in their results of faith, of their faithful service. The work that they are doing is important and being empowered by the name of Jesus himself should not be understated. But there's more to it than that. Do not lose sight of what is most important. What matters most isn't the miracles or the victories, the power or the protection. What matters most is that they are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. What matters most is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying that matters most. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And don't we just find joy in that, like, you know, just that statement by itself. The simple gospel, you know. We find joy in the cross, in Jesus' death, which, you know, may seem quite odd to say like that. But there is joy in that. He died for your burdens, you know, the things that you bear, your sin. He died for that. And he took it on his shoulders and he had a painful death. It wasn't easy. He didn't just be like, yep, all right, I'm going to just go up this hill and die. (laughs) He, he cried out to God, you know, if there's any other way, Lord, please, but let your will be done. Jesus brings great joy. He brings huge joy. So now we're going to be just, you know, looking at choosing joy. You know, how can we choose joy like the Israelites did? You know, even though they were vulnerable in the wilderness still, they still rejoiced. How do we do that? We choose joy in the same way we choose to love people who do us wrong. You know, like Keith was saying two weeks ago, you know, he's talking about love. Um, you, know, you know, we're driving along and someone cuts us off on, up on the roundabout and they curse us. You know, what's our natural reaction to that? Is sometimes to sort of curse them back. Like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you driving like that? But scripture tells us that we should bless people who curse us. And we choose to do that. We choose to bless those who curse us. We choose to love in the same way we can choose joy in difficult circumstances. Here's another example. When the Apostle Paul was in a dirty Roman prison, 
He said that he has chosen joy, even if he gets executed. Paul was, you know, in prison because he was spreading the gospel. He was spreading the good news of Jesus. He was talking about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he got put in prison for that. And in Philippians, we see Paul talking about how um, it doesn't matter if he gets executed, because then he'll be with Jesus. But it's better for him to endure this imprisonment and to be let out so he can continue spreading the message and in the prison that he can write the letters to the churches and, you know, keep building them up and keep, you know, pushing out that message. You know, it's, it's better for him if he gets killed. But it's better for other people if he stays alive. And, you know, we see how Paul rejoices in the Lord even in his hardship. He called this joy in the faith in one in Philippians 1 and joy in the Lord in Philippians 3 Paul believed joy was a gift of God's spirit a sign that Jesus' presence is with you in the midst of hardship when you believe Jesus has overcome death itself joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances Joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself. I just think that's so cool. Um, Cool. So I just wanted to leave on the thought of um, John 16. So feel free to get it out in your Bibles if you want. It's on the screen. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you. You know this is important when Jesus says very truly I tell you. And he says it a lot. So that's why a lot of things he says is important. Very truly I tell you. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now... You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Um, If the band would like to come up, because I'm coming to the end. Um, So as we just respond to this, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that we can choose joy, choosing joy. 
You know, we, looked, we can look to the Israelites. You know, we can read you know, how they chose joy in their circumstances that didn't look so good. And even though they were grumbling later and that's all they were doing, like, oh my goodness, I just want to... They just probably sound like that. Um, we can see that they found joy again in the Lord. And we can look to Paul the Apostle and how even though he was in a dirty Roman prison, he chose joy. We can look to Jesus and rejoice that he came and died for you, for you individually, and us as a church, as a people. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, and know that when we see Jesus return, no one will take away your joy.